Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to How to Date, a show about how to master the messy, complex, and downright bizarre world of dating when you really didn't think you'd be back here again. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm a psychologist, I'm one year out of my marriage, I'm a mum, and I'm immersed in the world of online dating. Hi, I'm also your host, Monique Robin. I'm a mum of four kids and a yoga teacher trying to find men who like me rather than my limber joints. So, Mantha, tell me who's on the show this week. So, today we have Michael Carr-Greg. Yes, I've wanted to hear from him. I know. We were both very excited when we were able to secure Michael because he's kind of like the go-to child psychologist in Australia, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like his opinion is so well respected. And in actual fact, it seems like he is the benchmark of opinion in that area. He's the, the PD psychologist that we all want to hear from. Yeah. So I know you and I, we have lots of questions in our own minds when we're dating about children and when do we introduce children to the person that we're dating is that a good idea you want to know whether one of your daughters should be screening people on bumble for you <laughs> mother of the year i know <laughs> mother of the year you can nominate me now <laughs> yes um so very excited to share that chat yeah the funny thing about this amantha you'll remember i begged for us to have michael car greg on the show and then me being the extraordinarily busy yoga teacher couldn't come to the interview and i think you'd lost your voice as well because you've been having some voice oh. issues i want to say you had no voice Plus, you were doing something yogury. No, I I could come. Remember, and I said to you, but I don't know if I'll be able to get the uh, questions out. That's right, because you couldn't speak. And I yes. said, I will fly solo again because <laughs> psychologist to psychologist, you know, we just keep. It I in know. The I think you deep down don't <laughs> like my third wheel in the picture when you're talking to a fellow professional. That's right, exactly. Yeah, I like to keep it just one on one. So very excited to share our chat with Michael. So, Amantha, tell me, how was your week in dating? Okay, so you remember how last week I had the three dates in one night and then one of them I liked and he asked me out? Yes. So we met for a drink and it was a disaster because he was smelly. What? Like so smelly. Like I'm not talking... BO or something that could be fixed with a product like deodorant. He stunk of like filthy mothball cupboard. Oh, like clothes that have been shoved in the back of the cupboard. Stinky. That smell, but really extreme. Like we, we went to a bar. Hang on a second. Before you continue, and I'm not doubting your olfactory intelligence, <laughs> yeah. but how can you differentiate between body odour, moth odour, Old clothes odor. Seems very, very precise. That's a fair question. And I think 
because I had to deal with this smell for an hour, I was thinking about it a lot. Like body odor has a certain, I want to say maybe saltiness to it. Like it's disgusting, but it's quite distinctive. Whereas extreme mothball like it smells <laughs> that bloody of- extreme mothball smell god <laughs> it's like it smells of cupboard you know it smells of mothball cupboard i don't know how else to describe I, it okay well let's just go back one step i also think and in fairness to you that body odor smell comes with a certain um aesthetic like a bit more of a wet a damp sweaty look it does and yeah. the, the funny thing was he was a very good looking guy, like better than his photos. Mm. So really good looking. So it was this weird contrast of I'm sitting here with this really attractive guy who stinks. Oh my goodness. So I think you're being a little bit negative though, because really I'd be like, oh my God, he, he thinks to buy mothballs. <laughs> but wow. Not, but then no, that's, that's fair. But then no, it smelled like there were there was a moth problem. So maybe it's not oh. it's not the mothball smell. Maybe I've completely described that wrong. It was like there was stink living in his closet that he hadn't addressed with things that you can buy from the supermarket. That's a more accurate smell. Okay, so it wasn't, got you. Yeah, it wasn't a good smell. It was a really, really bad smell. And it was so bad that we were sitting like a normal distance away from each other. Like I want to say a, a, a metre. That's kind of normal if you're sitting at a table at the bar. COVID safe day. COVID safe. So tell me, 7pm, you were at this place? Oh, no, 5pm. Oh, 5pm, okay. So 5pm, 5 5 so an early evening right, yeah. date, which I feel like is a good time because if you're having a good time, it can just lead into dinner if you want it to be longer. But it's also a good time if it's not going well because then you can say that you have other plans. So yeah. that's... Good. He might have been thinking the same thing. Yeah, as he should have been, as yep. we all should be in this dating world. So we meet up and immediately I can smell him. And I and it was so bad that I I couldn't breathe through my nose. It was that bad. So I'm trying to breathe through my mouth for an hour. That was about all I could tolerate. Hang on, I've just got to say one thing. You know, according to Yoga Australia, mouth breathing isn't recommended at the moment in this COVID environment. Is that right? So he actually was imposing a COVID risk on you. Right. So it's not just the social distancing. Totally get it. End it there. No, continue. But you also, he, I think he had bad breath as well. You know, when you're drinking mineral water or something fizzy and you kind of you know you do that like in not you personally but people do that I don't know how to describe it the inside mouth burp yeah you, oh no you know, totally I get describe you, yeah. that in a way that people such understand. a good way yeah okay so he did that a few times because Ugh. we were drinking I don't know mineral water because I didn't want to commit to alcohol because I knew as soon as I smelled him that I couldn't last very long oh and so he did that inside mouth burp a few times and it really stunk. Oh, no. <laughs> really See, you and I are different. I'd notice this behaviour and I'd go, okay, I'm committing to some serious drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Mineral water, I must say, is my go-to. So I will generally drink mineral water on dates unless I'm really vibing with the person, in which case I'll upgrade to wine. Okay, yeah, I know you're like that because you are pretty moderate with the way you drink. Yes. But – I almost feel pressured to drink wine. Otherwise, I feel like I'm being uptight. Isn't that weird? Oh, I feel pressure. I just don't give in to the pressure. Okay, yeah. I, like I feel odd saying, oh, I'm just going to go with mineral water. I'm not a big <laughs> drinker. <laughs> no, I feel really socially awkward doing that. But then I'm like, uh, 
fuck it. Yeah. But if you know that they're not worth it, why not? Exactly. <laughs> he, he was just a mineral water kind of guy. So I think smelling bad is a fundamental deal breaker. And I didn't know whether to give feedback because I did. I'm really, I'm very anti-ghosting, you know that. So I did yeah. message him the next day to say, I had a, a lovely night. You're an interesting guy. I think we're at different life stages. So I wish you all the best with everything. So just a nice thing to close the loop. Yeah, I'm at the stage in life where I like my clothes to smell nice. I like my cupboards <laughs> to smell nice. But I remember that good old stage you're in. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you actually, in a way, did ghost him. You just did it more surreptitiously. Oh, no, because I don't call that ghost because ghosting is literally just disappearing from the planet. No, you were being a ghost disguised as a nice person. Really? Oh, yeah. What should I have done? Okay, so the literal definition of ghosting, I get it, is just disappearing off the face of the earth. But how can we honestly say that it's not ghosting, giving a rudimentary explanation that is so far removed from the truth? (laughs) If you really, really wanted to be of service to this person, you would have said, look, to be quite honest with you, and this is going to sound really harsh, but... (laughs) I, as an olfactory expert, found your smell to be quite disturbing and I couldn't get past it. See, I should have done that because, you know, it did occur to me, you can't be successful at dating smelling like that. Like you just cannot. But then I began to wonder, was it just a bad combination? Like, do you remember that guy that I dated right at the beginning of COVID lockdown and we started Zoom dating. So we'd clocked up about 12 hours on Zoom, I want to say, and then we decided that we would meet in person. Mm. And so he came to my house and I remember talking with you and a couple of other friends saying, just say he smells really bad. Mm. That was a serious concern. And he didn't, he smelled lovely, but then, and I was telling him that, that that was a fear of mine. There are other worries as well, but smell was a big one because you can't get smell from zoo. Yeah. You can't convey that. No, no. But I remember talking about it with him, And we're talking about how I think there is some science that if you are compatible, then you will like each other's smell. So it got me thinking maybe I was just so uncompatible with the smelly guy because we're just not compatible, whereas other women would go on a date. Maybe you would go on a date with him and he would smell like roses to you. Well, it's funny you say that. I can relate to that. I dated a guy and I'm not sure if I even – told you about it because it was just a few dates and it wasn't really anything that noteworthy, but I was physically extraordinarily attracted to him and he had a sweaty body odor smell. And I've got to be honest, initially I was a bit repulsed, but actually I find it quite masculine. And after a little while, I just found it to be this raunchy man smell. Really? Isn't that weird? But that was because he was so ridiculously good looking. <laughs> and and the more I realized that his body odor was a thing, the more my brain transitioned bad smell into sexy masculine smell. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's probably maybe to do with the chemistry. Do you honestly believe that you were at different life stages aside from the smelly stage in life that you had now since departed from? 100%. That was a truthful comment. It okay. wasn't me lying or making stuff up. But I wonder if you would have been so judgmental about what stage he was at, at li- in life <laughs> and what stage you were at, because in honesty, you wouldn't have really cared if you were really attracted to him. <laughs> you know, I think I would have. I think, look, if 
if the smell wasn't there, it just it wasn't good enough. There were other problems that I won't go into. Yeah. But that was the overriding one. So that was that was my week. So how was your week in dating? Yeah, and I took a bit of a break from dating this week. I found that I really needed to put all my energy into the kids, as you know. But it was nice. It was nice just to take a step back and not be worried about it. It becomes like a job after a while. <laughs> I could totally relate to that. Yeah. Well, I guess the big learning this week is bring air freshener on dates. <laughs> yeah. Look, Amantha, I challenge you, I hereby challenge you <laughs> to report back to this guy and give him some actual honest feedback. Uh, I'd love to say challenge accepted, but I'm going to... I'm going to sit on that for a couple of days. I don't know if I'm up for that. Maybe I'll just refer him to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What a great way to find out about your smell. (laughs) Our guest on today's show is child psychologist Michael Carr Gregg. Michael is one of Australia's highest profile psychologists. And if you live in Australia, you've probably seen Michael on your TV or heard him quoted in the media on the topic of mental health and children. He works in private practice in Melbourne and consults to government, schools and the private sector about mental health and the well-being of children. So let's head on over to Michael. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be speaking to you as a mother that is dating and I feel like I have all these questions and I know my co-host who has lost her voice, so I'll be asking questions on her behalf, has four children aged between eight and 13. And I think one thing that we think about a lot is when is the best time or is there an ideal time to introduce someone that you are dating or seeing to your kids? What is too early on in a relationship of sorts? What a great question. Well, if you look through the psychological literature, the research suggests anywhere from six months to a year is ideal. But of course, it really depends on what's been going on before that. So for example, if your children are still grieving the loss of the family of origin, and they're still quite a bit going on, then you might like to delay it because you've got to balance up what your needs are versus the needs of your your children. And if they're particularly vulnerable, you don't want to add an, an additional stressor. And just to clarify, the six to 12 months, is that six to 12 months after the start of the new relationship or after the end of the old main relationship? No, let's be very clear. It's actually after the start of the new relationship. Got it. Okay. And why six to 12 months? Why does the literature suggest that that's the sweet spot? Well, I guess the most important thing is that we don't want to be rushing into uh, relationships, getting kids' hopes up. A lot of kids do have what we call reunification fantasies. And it takes a while for those unification fantasies to be basically put to bed. And I think we need some time to establish the new uh, co-parenting, the new relationship, and get the children into some kind of rhythm. So lots of my clients do birds nesting. Do you know what that is? 
I did birds nesting and it nearly killed me. Um, but can you explain what birds nesting is for those that don't know? Yeah, so the idea is that you basically leave the kids in the family home and what happens is the partners basically take it a week or the former partners take it a week on, a week off, and that way theoretically it's supposed to minimise the uh, disruption to the children because they're not carting their belongings between two homes. But I, as I, indi- I think you indicated, clearly very, very stressful on the adults involved. Yes, definitely. We did birds nesting for about five months and I don't think I spent more than three nights in a row in the same bed for that five-month period. So yeah, we weren't week on, week off. The reunification fantasy is interesting and I assume for, for those that haven't come across that term, it's pretty much the fantasy that your parents will get back together. How long does that typically last for and how does that differ based on how old your children are? It's got to do with all of those things, plus your child's personality, their temperament, their history of previous loss or trauma, whether or not the ex-partner is being cooperative, whether there's, you know, agreement around parenting orders. So all of those factors play into it. But I think the most important thing is you want to make sure that your children have come to terms with the fact that the relationship is over. It wasn't their fault that their mother and their father are happier living separately and that the new order is being established so that you can make sure rituals and traditions that you've taken from the original family are somewhat modified. But you just got to get them used to the changes. Children don't generally do change very, very well. They like ritual. They like predictability. So you want to minimize disruption as much as possible. And introducing a new partner would put an end to any reunification fantasies prematurely. Ideally, speaking as a child psychologist, I would want those Uh, fantasies to be put to bed without the kind of noise of another relationship in the background. And how do you know when they have come to terms with it and when they no longer have that reunification fantasy? Is it obvious? What are the signs that we should be looking out for to go, okay, they've come to terms with it. It's all right to introduce a new partner. Generally speaking, you're dealing with a loss experience and all new relationships um, or blended families are based on a history of loss somewhere along the line. So it really depends on whether or not your child has clearly moved on, whether they've re-established what they would normally be doing so that they're back at school and not having any learning problems or no new learning problems, that they've still got a group of pro-social peers that they can hang out with, incredibly important for their psychological development. So if that's going well, that's a good sign. That they're beginning to feel comfortable being away from you. So we want all children eventually to emancipate from us, to, to break the childhood bonds that binds us to them. 
when you get kids who aren't ready, they may in fact lose some of those developmental milestones and they're more clingy, more dependent on you. And that's not a good sign. That means it's way too early. And the last developmental task is really about a child who's ready to re-engage with what I call healthy risk-taking behaviours. So art, music, dance, drama, sport, all of those are good signs. So if by and large your child or your children seem to be going okay day to day, they're not exhibiting those behaviours, is it fair then for someone to assume that they've worked through the reunification fantasies and they've come to terms with in their own way that their parents are not going to get back together? Yeah, and I also think that you can check that out by simply asking with them. I think following the breakup of a relationship, it's really important to have a ritual of emotional check-ins with children so that once a week or maybe fortnightly, you spend some time with a particular child alone, you get down to their eye level and you don't have your devices and they don't have theirs and it's just a a special one-on-one time where mum or dad is just checking in with, you know, are you okay? How are you going with these changed circumstances? And really exploring how things are going with friends, how things are going at school, and that things are okay between you and them. And of course, if they are in contact with their ex, just making sure that they have an understanding of, you know, both of you are, are happier now and that we we are co-parents and, you know, th- things are all right. So I think the emotional check-in continually over that period of six months or a year, that's going to give you a really good indication that they're okay to, for you to move on. Yeah, that's really helpful. And then I guess introducing children to the concept that mum or dad is dating, how do we bring that up and when do we bring that up? Or would we only bring that up around the time that we're actually ready to introduce them to someone significant in our lives? I would uh, only bring it up when it's necessary for you to do that. If you're going to jump back into the dating pool, you've got to make sure that you yourself are okay because the barometer for the psychological well-being of the children and how they're going to handle this news is really your well-being. So is your diet okay? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping okay? Are you hanging out with, with your friends and engaging in a sort of meaningful existence? And if all those things are, are good, then I think it is perfectly reasonable for you to introduce the idea that mum's not a nun, dad's not a hermit, and that they have a, a right to have a relationship. And I mean, I don't mind if you've had that relationship going for a while and you're absolutely sure that you want to introduce the concept of this other life that you have to them, that's fine. The big question is when and how then you introduce or whether you introduce those children to your new partner? That's the million dollar question. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A little while ago, I was struck by the behavior of a guy that I dated for a little bit, and he was quite cavalier in his attitude to introducing women he was dating to his children. Like I remember the first time I went on a date with him, I met his kids, albeit very briefly for a few minutes, but that struck me as strange. I was obviously introduced as a friend. And I know that with other women that he's dated, they would meet the kids within a few weeks, but introduced as a friend. So I'd love to get your opinion on that. Is that something that we should do? Because we want to see what our potential partner is like around our children, or is that dangerous because that friend might no longer be a friend in a few weeks or a few months? Yeah, look, I think it is a a bit dangerous. Remember what I said about minimizing disruption. So I think that it's tough to be a kid in 2020, particularly with the coronavirus and all the disruption that that's brought prior to coronavirus, one in seven of our primary school kids and one in four of our secondary school kids already had mental health challenges. So I don't even know what what we're really entering into uncharted territory in terms of how those figures are going to be affected by the social isolation, the school closures, the disruption to their lives. So look, I think this is a very vulnerable population. I, I wouldn't be cavalier about introducing my children to a new partner, I think you have to take it very seriously. And I think you have to assess whether or not, in fact, this is the right person to introduce your children to. And you can learn a lot, I think, from how they treat their own kids if they've had kids from a previous relationship. If they don't see them or they don't take care of them, that to me is a whopping great big red flag. What are some of those things that we should be looking for if we're dating someone who is also a parent and we're trying to suss out what would they be like as a potential step-parent to our children? Yeah, well, I think one sign is if they are pushing too hard to meet your kids too soon. I think that's not a, a good sign. If they demand to be put ahead of you, uh, of your kids, and that they really have got their priorities a little bit strange because if you're going to be respectful in a relationship with someone else, you have to recognize there was a pre-existing family and that that family has needs that are really important. Once, of course, you have introduced them, then you don't want them telling you how to parent. You want to see a willingness on their part to be part of your kids' lives and and the greatest test of all is that your kids feel uncomfortable around them. Kids have a brilliant built-in BS detector and sometimes it's better than yours because remember you're all caught up in your oxytocin rush and we know in laboratory experiments that if we inject people with oxytocin they make really dumb decisions for a while. So I, I think... Those are some of the signs that you might like to think about. 
I think it's interesting then, almost like it feels like a bit of a dichotomy where we shouldn't introduce our new partner until six to 12 months into the relationship. I guess once we're pretty sure that they're a keeper, but then we could be in for a major deal breaker. Like if at the 12 month mark, we finally introduce them to our kids and our kids are not feeling secure or comfortable around them. What do we do at that point? And is that an argument for maybe introducing them sooner to the children so that they can pass that test, so to speak? No, I think the reality is that teenagers, for example, if you had teenagers and you were introducing a new partner, teenagers are are a whole different kettle of fish. And the best you could ever expect in my 30 years of experience working with families in these type of situations is a kind of friendly relationship developing between your teenager and your new partner, which is a little bit like the sort of relationship you'd have with a really good teacher at school. That's the best I've ever seen. It's not going to be, you know, add water, instant love, because it just Mm -hmm. doesn't work that way, particularly not with teens. And how about for younger children? So I mentioned my daughter is six and a half. What should we be expecting, I guess, in those younger primary years to older primary school years? Well, again, uh, it depends on all of those other factors that I talked about. But I think that if you have a six-year-old who is really quite accepting and interested in the idea of mummy dating and really is caught up in the whole romance of that, that's fantastic. That would end really quickly if you brought your new partner into the regular rituals that you do with your six-year-old and suddenly she felt like she was being edged out. So my personal view is that you shouldn't have a partner stay overnight, for example, when kids are there for at least a year because, again, that's a lot for, for kids to take on and of course they then think that their own dad will be forgotten and that can cause um, problems as well i mean all of this is in an ideal world because what you have to remember is that sadly in a lot of breakups there's still a great deal of resentment there's feelings of loss and grief and In a perfect world, they wouldn't project that onto their child and make it difficult for you. But of course, we don't live in a perfect world. So with the sleepovers, so you say waiting a year, and is that a year from when they first met this new partner? Okay. And why a year? I'm sure that there would be a lot of listeners that, that probably haven't done that or that would be thinking, goodness, that's a long amount of time. But yeah, why so long? Oh, well, the research seems to suggest that 12 months is time for children to get used to the idea of you having another person in your life. And that's an adjustment period. If you were to have them over and they wake up one morning and they come into your room and there's a bloke in your bed that can be quite confronting and upsetting for young people. So I think you've got to do this slowly. There's an old, I think it's a Chinese saying that the best way to cook fish is really, really slowly. And I'm using that as an analogy 
for how to introduce a partner to your child and get them to the point where they understand that this is actually now serious and that this could actually be a major part of their life. They might actually have a stepdad and that takes time to adjust to. I hear a lot of people use the language, this is mummy's special friend or, you know, sort of euphemisms like that. What's your take on what is the language that we should be using when we do introduce a child to a new partner? Well, I like the word partner. And I think that if that's what it's going to be, then we should name it. I mean, we go out of our way, I think, in society these days to, to be direct in terms of helping children I don't know, identify their body parts. I think psychologically, we should be really clear about where this relationship is going. I think special friend is a bit ambiguous. Uh, I much prefer, no, no, this is mummy's new partner. This is who she's going to hang out with on a relatively continual basis. And for listeners that weren't, you know, familiar with the research or your great advice around waiting six to 12 months before introducing your children to someone that you are in a relationship with, and maybe they have done that a little bit earlier on, like maybe within the first month or two, because they're overcome with all those happy hormones and they're thinking that they've met the new love of their life. What would you suggest there? Would you suggest just maybe reducing the visits a little bit or what should listeners do that are in that situation? Yeah, I think reducing the visits are just tapering them uh, over time. The most important thing you have to remember here is that these children didn't ask to be born. They didn't ask to be born into a broken relationship. They need a sense of agency. They need a sense of predictability. And they need to know that they're safe and they're valued and they're listened to on an ongoing basis. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go into permanent seclusion for the rest of your life. You're more than entitled. And I advocate for people to, to do this. And, you know, life is, is worth living and it's, it's clearly much better to do that with someone than, than on your own. Loneliness is really bad for you for psychologically uh, and physiologically. There's really good data on that now. So I would want anyone in this situation to find a soulmate, to find a partner. But you do have to take into account the psychological needs of your children. And I don't think any parent would want to sacrifice the mental health of their children on the altar of just shacking up again with someone else. Mm, definitely. And what should our attitude be towards people that we're dating that are very happy and excited for us to meet their kids before that six to 12 month mark? Should we step up and go, actually, no, no, that's too early? Or if our partner's really pushing for that, should we be all right with that? Look, I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to express that view. But I think it's also perfectly reasonable for you to go, oh, you know what, I just don't think it's right just the right time yet my kids are still working through stuff and you know that's a really interesting test to see whether or not they really are listening and caring about you because i love the fact that they're willing to be part of your kids lives but you have to be the one who determines when that time is right they don't know your children like you do they don't know the 
the personal history of loss. And by the way, one thing I should say is that you must be with your child if and when they meet your new partner because that reflects the importance, the, the primacy of the relationship that you have uh, to the child. So you don't turn up with them and meet the kid. You're there with the kid and then the person turns up. I know it sounds like a small detail, but boy, it can make a big difference. I can absolutely understand why that would make a huge difference. And I think that's great for people to keep in mind. Um, I know Monique um, wanted me to ask a question because one of her daughters gets very involved in her dating life to the point where she likes to get on Bumble and screen people for Monique. And Monique wanted me to ask, is she scarring that daughter for life by uh, letting her do the initial screening on Bumble? <laughs> Should she just put a stop to that right now or is that okay? How old's the daughter? Do we know? Uh, yeah, she's uh, like late primary years. Late primary. Wow, I don't like it. I'm, I'm sure Monique's a very lovely person, um, but as a child psychologist, I don't like it. I don't like That's the sort of thing that I would do with a friend, but I'm not sure I'd do it with my child. And one of the big issues that we face in Australian parenting today is a little bit of a tendency for mums and dads to treat their children like their friends. Now, first of all, I've never met a 12-year-old that, that really wants a 45-year-old friend. But more importantly, I think the roles are different. The next thing is, is she going to be discussing the intimate details of her sex life with her daughter? Is she going to be talking about that sort of stuff? I mean, to me, there are boundaries. And I, I think that there's stuff that you would talk about with a friend and there's stuff that you talk about with a child. Your job as a parent is to be the frontal cortex of your child while they're growing up, to give them the skills and the knowledge and the strategies to deal with life in an age-appropriate way. So, no, I don't think she's scarring them for life, but it's not what I would do. All right. I'm sure after listening to this, she will put a stop to that behaviour. Okay. Uh, now, Michael, my last question, given we're nearly out of time, is if people want to learn more about what you're doing and consume some of the work that, that you are putting out into the world, what is the best way for people to do that and connect with you? Well, I have a website, Michael michaelcargreg.com, and people are most welcome to, to go to that and um, they'll discover all the weird and wonderful things that I'm up to. Amazing. Fantastic. We will link to that in the show notes. Michael, it has been an absolute pleasure and highly insightful and helpful for me as a parent who is dating. So thank you so much for your time. Been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Mantha, tell me, what was your biggest take home from that interview? I think for me, it was just about having really clear, I want to say rules in my head around when I should introduce my daughter to people that I'm in a relationship. So kind of knowing that really it is somewhere between that six to 12 month mark from the start of your new relationship is the ideal time. And that makes a lot of sense. And I did wonder about this because as I mentioned in the interview, and you will know this, I did date someone who was quite liberal with their boundaries around their kids. And I was, I was surprised around that, but then I thought maybe he's read research that I'm not aware of, but it was really, I think, just clarifying to speak to Michael to go, okay, this is how I should do things to 
you know, really protect my daughter. Yeah, I find that really interesting too and it's a question I ask myself. I also know that a lot of people introduce partners as friends and then once the children take to the friend, they make the transition from that place. So it's nice to get some clearer guidelines around that. Yeah, I think so. A few people do that or they'll say, oh, this is my special friend or, you know, just some rubbish like that. And I just, I like Michael's point around, you just want to minimize disruption. Like if you're, if you've come out of a relationship that has broken down a marriage or de facto or whatever, that's such massive disruption for children to deal with. And then introducing them to friends in inverted commas that are probably going to be transient, let's face it, Mm. is another disruption. Like they just don't need that. I feel like now thinking about that, that feels like a really selfish decision because it's really that person just saying, oh, I just want to spend more time with you. So I'll just invite you to spend time with my kids so I can see you more potentially. Yeah, and it adds complexities that don't need to be there. And also you you try and do it with the aim of gradually getting the children used to it, but at the end of the day you then have to deal with another problem and that is change the tenor of that introduction eventually if it's going to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And then how do you go, oh, yeah, they were my friend, but now there's something more. That's really confusing. So it's just like just get it right from the start. So I must say before that interview – I had my guesses about what to do and I haven't introduced my daughter to anyone that I've been dating, but now I'm really happy to have that clarity. So for me, that was personally such a useful interview. Absolutely. I agree. That is it for today's show. If you have enjoyed How to Date, why not share it with other people that you think could benefit from some of the advice that we are offering. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love to get your feedback. Please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened to this show from. And we will see you next time. See you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.